Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, once again, we're turning to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Matthew 24, and we'll read from verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. And that is the word of the Lord. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father God, as we turn to your word, we ask for your help. We pray that what we know not, you would teach us. What we are not, you would make us. And what we should be, you would show us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I have had been given a pound by everyone who asked questions over the last three weeks concerning events that are transpiring in the world, mainly in the Middle East, I would be quite well off by now. One of the organizations I'm associated with is the Prophetic Witness Movement International. I'm the Scottish rep for that, and the whole purpose of that organization is to make known what the Bible teaches about the future. And so many people have, have asked, you know, is this the end of the world? What's happening? How do you think things will unfold? It's a very interesting time that we live in. And certainly over these last three weeks, there are things that have happened that probably most of us would have thought were still a fair bit in the distance. It's very interesting, when the Lord Jesus was here on earth, the Pharisees asked him for a sign as to who he was. The fact that he had fulfilled many of the prophecies concerning his first coming was foretold he would be born in Bethlehem, that a virgin would bear a child, that he would have no human father. His whole 
genealogy was there for people to see, but the people who should have known better missed them completely. And then they had the audacity to ask for a sign to prove he was. <coughs> he had healed the sick, he had cleansed the leper, he had cast out demons, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. There were hundreds of other evidences that he was who he said he was, and yet those who should have known missed him completely. One of the things that's very certain as we read through the scriptures is that the Jesus who walked the paths of the Holy Land will come again. His second coming is referred to 240 times in the New Testament. More by far than any other doctrine apart from the doctrine of salvation. The one thing that I never do, because many have done in the past and have been seen to be rather foolish, is to put an exact date or time as to when we think the Lord will come. Like the scripture encourages us not to do that. But I do believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that we are in the seasons of the end times. Things in scripture that, to be honest, many people, including some theologians, laughed at. Never happened. Well, it's beginning to happen now. But what I want to do tonight is I want to speak about the signs of the times. Things that happen that show us that we are coming close to the end of what we know of this world. And the first major sign is the sign of the Jew. What do I mean by that? The restoration of Israel to a land that they would call their own. The land that God gave them, the promises that God made to Abraham all these years ago, the Jews who had been scattered for, well, since the Romans flattened Jerusalem, more or less erased all of life in the land of Israel, the Jew was then scattered throughout the world, hated by many, still sadly hated by many. As a Christian, there is one thing that I believe that we should do. We should pray for the people of Israel. That doesn't mean to say that I agree with everything that Israel does. But we should, it is, I think, our duty to pray for Israel and in the midst of the current crisis, the innocent people in Palestine. But in 1948, something remarkable happened. The state of Israel was reborn. 1948, 800,000 Jews 
were gathered back to what we now see on the world map as the land of Israel, against all odds. Surrounded by neighbors who really want to drive them into the sea. They have been attacked time and time again. And they have won every war, even some of them in a miraculous way. At the outset of this year, there was 9.2 million Jews living in the land. I remember many years ago, I worked for a company in Glasgow who were run by a Jewish family, and there were three brothers, and the oldest of the brothers, when he found out I was a Christian, we had some interesting conversations, and all he would speak about was going home. And he didn't mean his home in Glasgow. He meant home in Israel. He never got there. But that's all that he longed for. Now over probably since about the 1930s, maybe slightly before that, there were some within Christian circles that, that taught that the church has taken over all the promises that were given to Israel and that God is now finished with Israel completely. It's called replacement theology. And I would go as far as saying it's absolute heresy. If you look at the Old Testament prophets, you will find passage after passage after passage that speak of how in the latter days a remnant would be restored. Isaiah 11 verse 11, God shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people. Jeremiah 33 verse 7, and I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and I will build them as at the first. Ezekiel 36 verse 24, for I will take you, Israel, from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. You could go to Daniel, Joel, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Amos, and it's there. A remnant being restored to the land. And it's happening. They're in unbelief just now but they're heading for home. Even the Apostle Paul says in Romans 11, verses 1 and 2, I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. God has not cast away his people, but he foreknew. Then there's the political side. Wars and rumors of wars taught in scripture, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, people against people, famines, trouble, these are, the scripture says, the beginning, the beginning of trouble. Now, of course, the world has always been troubled by war. There's always been hostility 
between nations or again or between tribes of people. But it's gathered a pace in the last three decades more than any other time in history. We've seen two wars in Iraq, one or two, depending on how you look at the first of the wars in Afghanistan with Russia. We have Syria. We had ISIS that came to the fore, thankfully, when the decline. However, there's the Taliban, Boko Haram, Hamas. Hezbollah, all groups that are determined to make war, mainly against Israel. We have various other crises in the world. North Korea, the somewhat deranged leader, who knows what he will do. Communist China, rather menacingly. The Bible speaks of the kings from the sunrise. And one of the issues I think that has caused problems for us is that we have become somewhat desensitized to war. We see things on our television screens that we would never have seen 30 years ago. It just wouldn't have been shown, but there you are, bodies of people lying on roads and in fields, and we kind of go, oh, really? Oh, that's terrible. The world is going from bad to worse. One voice of authority said that about one quarter of the sovereign states of the world were engaged in interstate or intrastate conflict. Then there's the natural side. Plagues and famines. Scripture says, and there will be in various places plagues and famines. We have huge numbers of people starving in the world today. Despite the fact there is more than enough to feed them. It's not happening. In North Korea, we have people who are eating grass, making soup out of, by boiling twigs and various bits and pieces in a pot. Huge areas of the world have little access to fresh water. Forced to drink things that we would never even look at. And all the while their leaders live in luxury. And it seems that all too often many of the governments of the more, well, wealthy countries just Turn and look away. But then there's the moral sign. And there's a list in one of Paul's letters to Timothy that spells out very, very clearly the things that will be seen in the church and in society in the last days. 
Here's the list. And take them off with me as I read it. Covetous. I've got that. Boasters. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. Truce breakers. False accusers. Reckless. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors. Heady. High-minded. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We've got them all. By the bucketful. And Paul says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. The world is morally bankrupt. Shaking its puny little fist in the face of God, when God says you shall not, mankind says yes, but we will. Judgment is coming. Without a doubt. Then there is the social sign, lawlessness, violence. Almost every week there is at least one country that has some kind of demonstration. Some of which turn ugly. Some of which bystanders are Bystanders are, are, are injured or whatever. It's all there. The social and moral and ethical standards of our world are at best in the gutter. At best. And there was a time where it was believed that with the advance of education, and science, society would gradually evolve. And mankind would improve. And it would lead to a better, happier life for individuals, even down to the local level where we saw, probably in the, from the middle of last century, new towns were springing up. We take people from the old places where they lived that were not suitable really for living in. We move them to a new place, give them a new house, and everything will be wonderful. And well, it doesn't work. Why does it not work? Because it's not where man lives that will change the, the, the world. It's the state of man's heart that will make or break the world. Standards have fallen. I read an article recently that was written by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Shields. Apparently it was a magazine that used to be available, a gospel magazine that used to be available. And he said this, and I'll not tell you when this was written. 
There is rebellion against all authority, against every kind of restraint in the name of liberty. University professors plead for license and the unit of society, the family, is being destroyed. The covenant of marriage nullified. There is no kind of human authority that can keep this rebellious world in order. That was written almost a hundred years ago. What on earth would that man write now? Because it's worse than ever before. Then there's the religious sign. Apostasy. Paul, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, says in chapter 2, verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you. But it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. I think we can see without a shadow of a doubt that much that comes under the umbrella of church in the Western world also comes under the, the umbrella of apostasy. Many of our Bible colleges are saying that we can no longer stand on the authority of Scripture. They say that, well, bits of it might have been inspired by the, the Holy Spirit, but, but not all of it. My question to them is, which bits? Because if everybody decided they would look at the Scriptures and say, well, this bit isn't inspired, I think we might well go home with the leather binding and the concordance if you have one at the back of it. If we don't believe that the Bible is the word of God, we are in serious trouble. If we don't believe the, the Bible is the word of God, then we might as well go away and get a hobby and do something else entirely. I believe that every single page of it, I believe in the flood. I believe in creation. I believe in Jonah and the big fish. Because the Bible tells us so. And the Bible is the word of God. And everything that we do as Christians should be based on the Bible. And anything that the world would try to force upon us that is not biblical, we should throw it out. I remember as a teenager, and I can't remember the subject that we were discussing in one of the youth groups, and we were, whatever it was, it was something that was probably slightly questionable, should we do it, should we not, should we accept it, should we not, and there was a man in our church, he had a club foot and a big stick, and you always heard them coming, and he overheard the conversation, I'll never forget it yet. He stuck his head round the door and he hammered the stick on the floor and he says, just chuck it. And I've taken his advice to this day. Anything that goes against the word of God, chuck it. I 
as the end times near. And we are told that there will be a turning away from the word of God and the standards of God. Heresies and apostasies have distressed the church more now than ever before. In Luke 21 verse 8 we read these words, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying I am he. Do not go after them. And there are many people who are not quite saying, well, I am Jesus, but they're more or less saying, well, we'll turn away from Jesus. If you follow me, we'll, lead in a, we'll go down the road of liberty and we'll all be set free. And all that it leads to is bondage and judgment. Paul writing again to Timothy says, it's when they will not endure sound doctrine. And I love this. But want to have their ears tickled. <laughs> We're there today. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. We live in a day of sound bites, of epilogues, of Christian jargon. And what we need is to get back into the Word and teach the Word of God as it is. The fact that men and women need to be saved, that they need to have their sins forgiven, that they can have forgiveness. And we should be honest to say to individuals that if they don't embrace the gospel, then I believe in a literal hell. And God doesn't send anyone there. People choose to go there by themselves. Don't blame God. Heaven is available to all. If people turn away from the love of God, all that is left is the judgment of God. There's no halfway house. You're either a believer or you're not. You're either saved from your sin or you're not. You've either had every sin washed away by the blood of Christ or you're still a sinner. Eighty percent of the churches here in Scotland are no longer interested in the truths of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that tragic? The thing that we should be looking forward to, the coming again of the Lord, for whatever reason has been pushed to the back of so many people's minds. Jesus himself predicted that as the end times drew near, the love of many would grow cold. 
But then there's the intellectual sign, increased knowledge. Daniel 12, verse 14, at the end of time, knowledge will increase. In my lifetime, there has been huge strides made in the realms of technology. I remember when our school in Coatbridge got its first computer. It needed a room for it to be in. It was that big. If you wanted to use it, you had to put it on for about an hour to warm it up. And yet now, many of the things that you have with you, and I normally have with me, my phone, are more powerful than that computer was way back in the mid-70s. In the 1970s, experts put the sum of man's knowledge doubling every decade. It's now doubling every two years. The steps forward in medical science is immense. Organ transplants, stem cell treatments, Scanners, the, the, the new 3D X-ray machines are something quite remarkable. Scans that could be made of the whole human body, constantly changing. And interestingly enough, there is one country in the world that is streets ahead of every other country in the realms of medicine. Any guesses what that country is? Israel. And what we are not told by the media is that before this circumstance has blown up in the Middle East, Israel were taking Palestinians from Gaza to treat them for free in the hospitals in Israel. You don't hear that because that's not what the media want to portray. They are now working in the realms of the nanosphere. The end is drawing close. Then there is the introduction of a cashless society. Sweden are very well on the road almost to that. Canada are going along that route. Estonia are already there. They have been the test case for the world. No bank cards, no cash. Instead, something that is put behind the, the skin and the back of the hand and all the information that is known about the individual is based on that. They go to buy something, scan the hand. In our country, for example, if you spoke to one of the teenagers now and you mentioned a check, they would look at you as if you'd come from Mars. 
And yet in my lifetime, I have written hundreds of checks. There is a move by China, Australia, India, and New Zealand to try to do away with the dollar as the world's currency. The world is all but bankrupt. And the scripture teaches that as the time of the end draws near, there will be a great reset. Things will be done to, to try to do away with the, the issues of the fact that the world is done. <coughs> Start again. But then... Lastly, there is another sign, the sign of the awakening of the great bear. Who's that? Russia. I remember very clearly President Reagan saying, tear down that wall. And something that the never expected in Eastern Europe happened. Countries that had been held within the iron grip of communism. Russia, who under the old USSR, well, there was the Cold War between them and the West. There were more than several occasions where it nearly spilled over into war. But then... There was Glasnost, Perestroika. Russia became, well, a democracy. And everybody, well, the arms of the world were laid down. There was a disarmament on all sides. And I remember saying to some people then, do you think we're zipped up the back? Do you think all these weapons are just being put to one side forever? No. And gradually, over recent years, Russia is becoming a closed state. Christianity is not tolerated. Freedom of speech is not tolerated. The mighty Russian bear has awakened and well, we know what she's doing in Ukraine. I've been to Ukraine. Lovely people. Russia calls them animals. And now she has decided that there's a bit of Finland that really belongs to Russia too. So, the possibility is that we'll try to get Finland and take a bit of their land into Russia. I say this reverently, heaven help us if she does.
great nation that had, had gone to sleep and everybody thought was asleep forever. No, no. Remember also that Russia backs hardline Arab nations, Yemen, Iran, Iraq, Syria, to mention a few. All of these nations which at some time in the future will descend upon the people of Israel with the intent to destroy them. And a remnant will be saved when the Lord of glory comes in power and destroys the enemy of his people. Now, you may be saying, well, that was something of a history lesson and a prophecy lesson. Here's the most important bit. The time where the gospel is freely preached is rapidly coming to a close. Even in our nation, there are doors that are gently being closed against us. We've not slammed so that we see it happening, but gently. Can't do this in schools. You can't do something else in schools. You can't have a, a presence in universities. And if you do, it needs to be in an office somewhere where people don't see you, etc., etc. And I hope this evening that every single one of us has come to faith in the Savior that I serve. The one for whom I take as best as I can his word wherever the door opens for me. So what did he do? Well, he came into this world he lived a sinless life. He was put to death. He rose again on the third day, ascended back into heaven with the promise that one day he is coming again. Not if, not maybe, absolute certainty. One of the best known verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world. Well, let's forget the world. God so loved you. And me. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's you and me. For me, it was the 6th of May 1980 under a big tent in Strathclyde Park in Hamilton. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the person who lives their life and doesn't trust Christ for salvation will be in that literal hell that I spoke of. And I don't want any of you to be in that place because there's no second chance. There's no purgatory. We've one life That's the opportunity we are given to acknowledge our need of a Savior and trust Him for salvation. It's not religion that saves. It's not church membership or church attendance that saves. It's a personal faith in a personal Jesus. 
the Son of God, who loved me enough to go to a cross and suffer the most incredible agony. Not only the physical agony, but the fact that while he was on the cross, his father turned his back on him, and all of our sins, the whole sin question was laid on him. When the price had been paid, he uttered the, these words, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit and died. His body was laid in a tomb. What would have happened if it had stayed there? I'll tell you what would have happened. We would be the biggest fools in the world. Because we would have no reason no message to bring of good news to anybody, but he didn't stay in the tomb. On the third day, he arose. Seen by over 500 witnesses in a court of law in the Lord Jesus' time on earth, you only needed two witnesses to prove that something happened. There was 500. after 40 days he ascended back into heaven and the promise that was given this same Jesus as you have seen go into heaven will come again if that doesn't excite you there's something wrong he's coming and all the pieces in the jigsaw are fitting into place. And God's word will be proved to have been right all of the time. Let me finish with this. No one will simply drift into heaven. There will be no one in heaven who will be surprised to be there. No one. There will be many in hell who are very surprised to be there because they trusted in the wrong thing. Let me simply ask you, when did you trust Christ for salvation? Your eternal welfare depends on that question completely. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great love, your undeserved great love towards us. We thank you for the gift of your dear son, Lord Jesus, we thank you for being so willing to pay the price that we deserve to pay. And we thank you that through your sacrifice, salvation is available to all men, though all, not all will receive it. 
And precious Holy Spirit, tonight we ask if there be one here who has never made peace with God that you would convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Draw them to yourself and we will be mindful to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.